I'm the oldest of, of three boys, and growing up, my, uh, my mom read to us uh, a whole lot. I attribute my, my love for reading now because my mom read to me before I even knew what she was, what she was doing. And there were really kind of two sets of, in my, in my era, there were really two sets of books that I think, in particular, moms read to their, read to their kids. There was the Cat in the Hat books, and then there were the, the Bernstein Bears books. Show of hands, you know what I'm talking about? And uh, this, is a, this is our version from, from our house of one of the Berenstain Bears books. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's smaller than, than they, this book is smaller than they used to be, right? And, and if you notice too, the corners are rounded because there were some casualties in my house with those, those big sharp cornered books. Um, and, uh, and so I guess they've, they've evolved. But this was, uh, this was published in 1968. And uh, I'm going to read this book to you, and I promise there's a point to it. Uh, but I'm going to read this book to you just, just like I read it to my girls last night before, before they went to bed. And then I told them that I was going to read it to you guys, and they just thought that was just awesome. So I'm going to read it to you like I read it to, read it to them. If you're, not, if you're not familiar, this Bernstein Bear book, Inside, Outside, Upside Down, where I shamelessly pilfered the title of today's, today's message. Um, this is about a little bear who sneaks into a box, who accidentally gets loaded onto a truck, but who fortuitously is knocked out of the back of a truck out of this box right by his house. Now, I can remember as, I can remember as a little kid thinking, how in the world did he not die? And then thinking, yeah, he, he feels lucky because the, vo- the box fell out of the truck right, uh, right by his house, and I'm like... When I got home, I'd be in some big trouble. But let me, let me read this to you. It'll just take a second. Inside, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read like I read to my girls, even though I know some of you can't, can't see this. Inside, outside, upside down. Going in. Inside. Inside a box. Upside down. Inside a box. Upside down. Going out, outside, outside, inside a box, upside down, going on, on a truck, outside, inside a box, upside down, going to town, on a truck, outside, inside a box, upside down, falling off. Off the truck, coming out, right side up. Mama, mama, I went to town. Inside, outside, upside down. Now, I promise that I didn't think to myself, okay, what children's book can I read this morning? And then somehow make a sermon, make a sermon out of it. This was actually the the last thing that, that came to mind in preparing what we're looking at today. Because I have in mind for us to, to this morning to consider the gospel of Jesus, three different perspectives, and we're going to consider the gospel of Christ and the kingdom of God from the perspective of an insider, from the perspective of an outsider, and then also from the perspective of those for whom it is said about them that they are turning the world upside down. To look at the kingdom of God from these three distinct perspectives in these three 
distinct passages from these, these three perhaps familiar, perhaps familiar passages, but to recognize that each one of them communicates something, something unique. Inside, outside, upside down. And sometimes in preaching, I can get caught up in, in, in ways. To, I want to present a message that might be familiar to you, and I, I want to present it in a way that is, that is meaningful. And so somehow to bring out a, a certain nuance, I think I said it was, was at, uh, at, at Easter time, sometimes Easter and Christmas uh, put a little bit of pressure, on, or I put a little bit of pressure on myself in regard to those times because I know that there are people who are going to be in our audiences who are only there a couple of times a year, but I don't want them to walk away thinking, yeah, I've heard that before. So I'm always trying to, to consider the things that we look at on a Sunday morning from a holistic perspective. But I think there's also something to repetition. I think there's something to our looking at passages as believers. Our looking at them again and again and again. The goal is, is they would, that, they would, that they would never be commonplace. But I think there's, there's something that God intends for us as we look to Scripture again and again. And so I want to look at three passages that perhaps will help us to better understand how to be followers of Jesus. So journey with me today, and let's begin with the insider of John chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Now there was a, a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus' miracles are not called miracles in John's gospel. They're called signs because they point toward God. Verse 3, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And again, we, we turn to this passage, and many of us are familiar with this passage, and we love this passage. And one of the things that we see is that, is that as Nicodemus comes to Jesus under the cover of night, that Nicodemus is coming, I think, genuinely wanting to, to at least have Jesus to give him an opportunity to explain what it is he's been doing, because either Nicodemus has seen or at least he's heard that the things that Jesus is doing are those things that are pointing toward the Messiah. And Nicodemus is one of those who's longing for the Messiah. He's longing for the Christ. And he simply comes with a statement. No one can do these things if they weren't from God. And Jesus doesn't even acknowledge his statement. Jesus responds, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Nicodemus asked him nothing of entering into the kingdom. But Jesus, speaking to his heart and speaking to ours, says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb. Jesus answered, truly I tell you that no one can enter the kingdom unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. 
you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Let me stop there. Now I hear this and I look to this story and, and, and many of us, we look to this text and we think about our own, our own relationship with God and how we come to God through faith and the call of God to be baptized into Christ, right? You must be born of water and spirit. Even though this is Jesus' ministry, this is before Acts chapter 2, this is before the Apostle Peter's message at Pentecost, repent and be baptized every one of you. It's before the theology of, that we see from, from Paul in his 13 letters. But we look to this and we see new creation. As Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born of water and spirit. And Jesus' statement to Nicodemus, you must be born again if you're going to see the kingdom. Tracking with me on that? This is yes. This is okay. What I want to say is, is Nicodemus in every way, Nicodemus was an insider. As he comes to Jesus, and notice the approach, he comes to Jesus. Nicodemus is an insider in every way. He was an insider in his gender, in a male-dominated society. He's an insider in his gender, he's an insider in his ethnicity, he's an insider in his religion. He's an insider in his ethics. In every way, Nicodemus is on the inside. In every way, this is his wheelhouse. This is the world in which he lives. In every way, Nicodemus was an insider. An insider in every way. And yet even as I believe he comes to Jesus genuinely... What Jesus says to him in saying, you must be born again. What Jesus is saying to this insider is, none of that saves you. None of it. Now, look at the next chapter, and I love how John the Apostle does this in his gospel account. Look at the next chapter in John chapter 4 at this example of the outsider. John chapter 4, I'm going to begin in in verse 4. Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And it was about noon. And then a Samaritan woman, who was living a sinful life, came to Jacob's well in the middle of the day to draw water, and Jesus, he asked her for a drink. And, and you know, this, perhaps you're familiar with the story. You have this, this woman who comes there in the middle of the day, and we can speculate as to why she comes there in the middle of the day. And we know that she, she lives a, a sinful life, and she lives a life not only that's, that's characterized by sin, but she lives a life that everyone in her town, they know the life that she lives. And we can speculate that surely she's coming there to that well in the middle of the day to avoid those who would have come in the morning. When it was cooler to be able to draw water. She's, she's coming there in the middle of the day in order to draw water, in order to provide for, for her own needs, in order to sustain herself. And yet in every way, this woman that Jesus encounters, that Jesus speaks to, and even notice that Nicodemus comes to Jesus to speak to him. And in this instance, this woman has her head down, I envision. And Jesus engages her. 
This woman is an outsider in every way. She's an outsider in her gender. She's an outsider ethnically. She's an outsider religiously. She's an outsider in her behavior. She's an outsider in her morality. She's an outsider in her ethics. Look at verse 10. Jesus said to her, If you knew the gift of God, if you knew it, and if you knew who it was who's asking you for a drink, You would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. And her response to Jesus is, oh, that's what I'm missing. That's what I'm wanting. Even though she misunderstands precisely what Jesus is communicating in her soul. As Jesus describes this living water. She says, that's what I'm in need of. That's what I'm craving. And then Jesus points, look at verses 13 and 14. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst indeed. The water that I give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Sir, give me this water. So that I don't have to to continue to not only be thirsty, but that I don't have to continue to live the same sort of life, exist in the same sort of way that I've been existing. And so Jesus tells her, go and call your husband to come back. I have no husband, she replied. And then Jesus says to her, duh. That's that's RJV, that's the revised Jason version there. You're right when you say you have no husband. As a matter of fact, and then Jesus goes on. And then, if you know the rest of her story, then you know that the talk of the town begins to share the kingdom with those in her hometown. These two stories. And again, I love how John places them back to back. These two stories communicate one single truth. Insider or outsider, we all need God. And I think what Jesus, even in these communications, in in these events, and what John wants to communicate in writing them, what the Spirit intends to communicate in placing them in front of us in Scripture. I think one of the things that Jesus is is communicating in this, think about Nicodemus. What Jesus or what God is communicating to us through this is I don't care how much Scripture you can quote. I don't care how often you go to church. Now, he cares, but I don't care how much Scripture you can quote. I don't care how often you go to church. I don't care who your granddaddy was in church. I want to know if you love God. I want to know if you're a part of the kingdom. I want to know if you've been born again. That was Jesus' statement to Nicodemus. And then to the woman woman at the well, I don't care how many 
husbands you've had, how many wives you've had. I don't care how many times you've made a mess of your life. I don't care how much pain you've caused or how much water is under the bridge. I want to know if you're tired of coming to the same well and drinking the same water time and time and time again. I want to know if you're thirsty for the water of the kingdom. Because we all need God. We all need Him the same. I need Him just as much as you, if not more so. Sometimes I'll I'll talk to a person who's been in church their entire life. And maybe they're going through a season of life. Or maybe it's been a sense of the majority of their life. And they, even though they, they feel like I'm, I'm doing everything right, I still feel far from God. I know all the right answers. But I don't feel that I have the, the closeness with God that God wants me to have. Sometimes I'll talk with someone who's, who's brand new to faith. Just, just stepping in and just kind of taking all this in at one time. And they, they know that they, they want something more. They, they want what God has to, has to offer. And sometimes a person who's brand new to faith, they'll, 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 they'll say to me in, in trying to communicate exactly what their emotions are or how they're feeling, you know, I'm, I'm so old. Whatever that age is, I'm 35 years old, I'm 60 years old, whatever it is, I, 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 I should know these things. I should know Scripture. Well, no, you shouldn't. Not if you've never... Not if, you've, not if you're brand new to this. And I always try to encourage that the, the, knowledge, the knowledge is going to come. If you invest into study of Scripture, no matter how old you are, the knowledge is going, is going to come. Give it some time. And in the end, the heart is what God is after. But what I want you to hear me saying is that we all need Him. And He uses each and every one of us in unique ways because He has crafted each of us through the good, through the bad, and through the ugly to be ambassadors for the kingdom. To be light in a dark world. To shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. Jesus Jesus is the great barrier terror downer. I know that doesn't grammatically make sense. Jesus tears down, He breaks down all barriers. Affluence and ignorance. The barrier of race. The barrier of gender. The barrier of socioeconomics. The barrier of our inability to measure up. And that's what makes the kingdom the kingdom. Jesus He tears down all the barriers. And then He says to us, church, now it's time for you to do your part. Jesus, you look at these situations that He finds Himself in, finds Himself in, that He places Himself in, that God places Him in. And Jesus, He is warm and He is open. And He's open and He's kind. And He's compassionate. 
At the same time, he confronts both of these individuals. Both those who we would consider the insider and the outsider. He confronts them in ways that they are not aligned with the kingdom. And we can't not, we we cannot not, I think that's called a double negative, we cannot not confront the ways that we are not aligned with the kingdom. Are there ways that you're not aligned with the kingdom right now as you live your life? Are there ways that you are not aligned with the kingdom of God? You cannot not confront those things. And in both conversations, there are things that Jesus says to them that throw them off guard. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. And this, I believe, in both conversations is where the, it's where the kingdom call begins to sound forth. This is where the call of the kingdom begins to be heard. Let me ask you this. What would it take right now? What would it take to make you happy? What would it take right now to make you content? What would you be content with? Because most often, too often, we answer questions like that with something that's external. Something outside of ourselves. What was it that Rockefeller said whenever he was asked, you know, how much money is enough? Just a little bit more. Jesus says that there's nothing outside of you that can satisfy what's on the inside. That's the reason why individuals will claw their way to the top only to, or, or, or they'll, fill, they'll fill their lives with things or possessions or people or self or self-image or accolades. That's the reason why so much of society is enamored with celebrities, and then when one of them falls, we're shocked that they crash and burn. When we should be impressed with nothing but faithfulness. Because that's the only thing that Jesus was impressed with. That's really all that matters. Jesus says there's nothing outside of you that can satisfy what's on the inside. Nothing that can satisfy you except God. And anything else, anything else, anything else is idolatry. Everything else is from the enemy. And everything else will eventually eat you alive. Everyone worships something. Inside, outside. Now for the upside down. Acts chapter 17. The book of Acts is, is the life and the ministry of the early church. And whenever I, even when I say Acts 17, you might be familiar with that chapter and you're thinking to yourself, oh, the Bereans. You know, those who, who study and who, who are, are individuals who are defined by, by Scripture. Christians who search diligently the Scriptures. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Or, or, or Acts chapter 17, you might think about Paul in, in Athens. As he steps into Athens and he says, I can see that in every way that you're very religious, let me share Jesus with you. But what about Thessalonica? Look at Acts 17, beginning in verse 5. Other Jews were jealous. They rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. They formed a mob and they started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house. Don't come to my house after all that. This is is my namesake here. Uh, They rushed to Jason's house in search of of Paul and, and, and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men have caused trouble all over the world and have now come here. And Jason, he's welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. They made Jason and the others post a bond and let them go. Ah, I wish I would have had more of a penance than that. I mean, just post a fine, just post a bond and let no, no scourging, no beating, no, no dying as a, as a martyr's death. Just pay a fine and you can go. Look at verse 6. These men, the NIV says, these men have caused trouble all over the world and they've now come here. But if you're reading from the ESV or or Revised Standard or even King James, the original, the 1611 King James, the statement is this. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. You see, these these believers, they're turning the world upside down because the kingdom is upside down. Actually, the kingdom is right side up. The kingdom's right side up. It's everything else that's upside down. And what we cannot do is to allow the world to define to us what normal is. Now just slow that down and think about any way that Satan is attacking you or your life or your family. Think about anything that you recently maybe um, have in front of you as far as something that you've read or something you've heard, something you've discussed. As believers, see the kingdom's right side up. The kingdom's right side up. Everything else is upside down. And what we cannot do is to allow the world to dictate to us what normal is. And these believers, why, why is it that these, why are these early Christians, why are they turning the world upside down? One reason. They're kingdom people. And to be a part of the kingdom is to be born again. Same words could also be translated born from above, to be born anew, to be born again. They're born again, they're born anew. And to be a part of the kingdom is to drink from the well that gives life. That concept to be, to be born again. I mean, birth can be ugly and painful. I can clearly remember all of our biological children being born and there's all sorts of yelling and screaming and crying and weeping and gnashing of teeth and all of that was just me. Birth is hard work, or so I've been told. Jesus says, you must be born again. If you want 
if you want to be a part of the kingdom, you must live a new life. And so, yes, John 3, Jesus and Nicodemus, the call to be born again, that's talking about baptism. But it's deeper than that, pun intended. It's deeper than that. It's about living a new life. You must be born again, but do you want a new life? He offers, he offers living water. But are you thirsty? The woman at the well, she may have thought that she was beyond redemption. But she wasn't. Might it be that Nicodemus, genuine as Nicodemus was, might it be that Nicodemus thought he was his own savior? But what about us? Inside, outside, upside down. Let me close with a story. There's a a little boy who's born to a, a single mother. And for his entire life growing up, his, his mother invests into him. She pours her heart and soul into him. She, she does everything she can to not only care for his needs, but she does everything that she can in order to, to make sure that not only are his needs met, but she goes above and beyond. She, she works three jobs in order to provide for him. She wants to make sure that he's cared for above and beyond, and, and she provides for him, and she loves him, and she's there with him day after day after day as he grows. She sends him to college and she, she, she goes above and beyond providing for him, paying his way through school. He gets out of school and he, and he, he, gets, the, he gets the job that he's always wanted. He gets the job that she's, she's prepared him for his entire life. But then he just starts living his life. He just starts living his life and he never calls He never visits. He never communicates. And when asked why, his response is, my relationship with her doesn't really matter. I'm living a good life. You you owe God everything. Folks, we owe Him everything. You must be born again. But do you want a new life? That's the question. He offers living water. But are you thirsty? Inside, outside, upside down. This morning the call of Christ is to respond. To respond. In the ways that God desires in our own hearts and lives, and only, only, but only we can respond. And so we want to offer a time of public response. And if God's call upon your life is to be baptized into Christ, you must be born again. Come to the water, the living water in Jesus. Maybe we can pray over you. If we can bless you in some way, come forward as we stand and sing.